In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's first reading from the Mass is a brief passage from the book of Numbers that tells us about the Israelites who had left the Mount Hor and ended up in the wilderness and, well, in that context, without much to eat and and in the rough situation that they found themselves, of course, they did what all Israelites do is they started to complain. They complained to Moses about the lack of food and their discomfort. And so, since they complained to Moses, as you know, that scene where God sends these fiery serpents, and many of them were bitten, and many of them died. And in the end, they go to Moses and ask Moses to intercede for the people. Ask God to send away these serpents that are killing us. Instead, well, Moses goes to God, but instead, God says, okay, I'll help you, but this is what you're going to do. You're going to take a staff and build a bronze serpent, raise it up, and whoever looks at that bronze serpent will be healed. Or it's a a bronze standard with this kind of serpent circulating around it. And all you had to do was look at it, gaze at it, and you would be healed. Uh, Jordan Peterson has got a very intriguing uh, explanation of this. He, he goes into great depth on this passage. And for him, he sees this, like, you know, the, the interpretation of Scripture, of course, can be done on different levels. It can be done on the merely literal level or historical level. It can be done on the spiritual level or the moral level, right? The moral level. This, these are the traditional ways in which the fathers of the church have analyzed the scriptures. And he certainly does the moral level, the moral meaning of these passages, but he has a particularly psychological mm, twist to this. And he says, well, when the Israelites looked at the serpent, the bronze serpent, they were healed. And he says that, of course, when you look at something in life that causes you pain, that causes you anxiety and fear, the more you stare it down, the less it will control you. Those things that you really don't like, those that really bother you. And he gives the example of, of uh, you know, his own patients who have these disproportionate phobias of different things, uh, you know, we, we hear about phobias or flying, fear of flying, you know, or, but, you know, that there are some people, for example, that are completely paralyzed when they step into an elevator. They cannot step into an elevator. They just, 
panic, right? And so they go to him to help so that they can overcome their phobia of elevators. But he says, so what I do is I bring them to the elevator. I say, now look at the corners. Now look at the buttons. Now look up. And they go, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And, and then bit by bit, he introduces them into the source of their fear until finally they were able to go up three floors or something, right? And, um, and so his, his principle is that uh, when you... When you look at that which makes you afraid, when you stare it down, God gives you courage. A courage that develops inwardly, right? However, this story illustrates, when the people look at the bronze serpent, it illustrates God's, uh, God's power using inadequate means for the purpose. Because all they did was to look, look at a bronze serpent. I mean, that's an inadequate means to heal a person who's been bitten by a real serpent. And it was meant to show that he alone can heal us from what ails us. He alone, God alone can really heal us from the bites of those serpents or any other bite for that matter. But of course, as we saw in, in today's uh, gospel reading, there is a connection. Of course, the staff, the serpent, raised up for people to gaze up. Of course, is very similar to Jesus himself being raised up to earth as he is tied himself to the cross. And uh, we see that connection immediately, at least visually. And uh, because that is the only thing that can heal us from our sins. And um, we are now in what we call Passion Week. So it's the week before we enter into what will be Holy Week. So this Sunday, well, this from this past Sunday, we began Passion Week. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, in which there will be an account of the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, but it'll also include the account of, of the Passion in, in the Gospel, a long, long account in preparation for, for Holy Week. And with last Sunday, as you can see here from the crucifix, all crucifixes in all churches from this past Sunday on are covered. They're covered with this um, purple cloth, which is the this, the, the color for for Lent, but that which we are about to look at is now, strangely enough, been covered. Been covered. You're not supposed to see any crucifixes anywhere. You're not supposed to see this one either. And the purpose, of course, is counterintuitive, but it's meant to be covered so that we truly internalize the meaning of the cross internalize it, not simply see it, because you can go through a ceremony and see a cross, but not truly internalize its meaning, its power, its healing power in our life. And we can ask the Lord now to help us during this Passion Week, and then even more, of course, during Holy Week coming up after that, to help us internalize the meaning of the cross, and how this fact that we have been saved by the fact that a man was nailed to a piece of wood on which everybody gazed, and on which he suffered grievously, when he was, of course, lifted up. And this is what our Lord says in today's uh, Gospel. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, 
then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself. What the Father has taught me is what I preach. He who sent me is with me and has not left me to myself. For I always do what pleases him. This, this phrase, completed by another passage, also of St. John, where he seems to repeat the same idea. When I am lifted up from the earth, then he says, I will draw all things to myself. And uh, John adds to that, he said this to show by what death he would die. So, he didn't say specifically, I will be crucified. He said, I will be lifted up. I will be lifted up. And uh, that being lifted up is a kind of, uh, it's a kind of reference to the throne on which a king is installed. And since from that throne, the, the king reigns. And from there, he is the king of our salvation. He brings about our salvation from that cross. That's why we say Christ reigns from the cross. Sometimes there are images of Christ nailed to the cross with a crown, right? Because he's Christ the king. But he's the king, ultimately, not a human king, but he's a king of our, of our salvation. And this particularly with the fact that even if the cross was meant and devised by Romans to be the most miserable way that they could imagine of execution. Like, let's think of a way in which we can really make somebody suffer in the most horrendous way possible, not just guillotine. I mean, guillotine is a walk in the park. You know? I mean, that's, that would be great. But this, let's make it last a long time, let's make the person suffer, let's humiliate them. So the idea being, of course, that when we do that, everybody will say, don't, don't mess with the Roman Empire. Don't mess with them because that's what's going to happen to you. And they would be lifted up, in other words, so as to be seen. The guy would be naked. The guy would be bleeding. The guy would be suffocating. And people would scream things at him in insults. It was the most horrific thing you could ever imagine. Yet our Lord, there on that cross, who is both God and man, like a magnet, right? He is able, you could say, draw all things to himself. It's a very mysterious phrase, you know. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. To, what do you mean you're going to draw? Well, because, because, of course, everybody saw so, how grievously he suffered, and he did this out of love. He did this to show the extent to which he loved us, you and me individually. And it means also that suffering of any kind that we might undergo, whether it's a setback, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a humiliation in a relationship with somebody, is, is something that is salvific. Because Christ decided to save us on the cross. But we can participate in that by offering our sufferings. So we can ask our Lord now, who is present here, hidden in the tabernacle. Have I allowed this to happen in any way? To let this salvific cross enter into my life? Have I allowed myself to internalize it? 
not just as an outside sign. You know, some people like to wear a cross outside, a big, large cross. Okay, it's good, it's good, 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 good. You know, but but really, the place where the cross has to be is in our heart, in our soul, in our mind. This is ultimately why the crosses are covered, right? and it's also meant to help us or to encourage us to have a deeper longing for Easter Sunday. In fact, in Germany in the past, I think before the council, they wouldn't just cover the crosses, they would cover the entire altar. Like, the entire altar would be covered. And even any images, any statues, and they would wrap these statues. And so you couldn't even see Our Lady. You want to pray to Our Lady? Just go, okay, i got to imagine Our Lady now. I mean, it also shows the relevance of art, right? Statues, that we, in some ways, we kind of need them to pray. Yeah, but you can pray without the statues too. Just you got to internalize it more, right? I've been, I remember it was a kind of a frustrating thing for me when I was in Rome uh, during Holy Week, because I was, I was living there, but then during Holy Week, thousands of students would come, and I was very proud to be able to show them all these amazing basilicas, and there were amazing works of art, and, you know, I'd go, the great basilicas, and I'd show, oh, here's the famous crucifix of Michelangelo, and it's all covered up, you know. It's like, uh, and, uh, well, just try to picture it anyway, you know. But there it was all covered up. Or a famous image of Our Lady in Salus Populus Romani in, in Santa Maria Maggiore. It was there, but it was covered. It was covered, you know. So all the best stuff was covered. But it really gave them a deeper longing to come back for Easter to really see it, right? And um, this veil, right? Um, it also, the idea of the veil suggests, of course, that we are living in a veiled world. That is, we right now don't quite see reality as it really truly is. We just see shadows here. We are kind of in exile from our true home. Our true home will be heaven. We don't see God the Father here. We don't see Jesus Christ. We don't see our Blessed Mother. They are, they are here. They are there. Our Lord is here. But we see them but through a veil. And that veil will be removed only with our death. That will be the most amazing thing. The day we die, the veil will be moved, and then we'll see our Lord as He is. And what do we see? Face to face, it's a beautiful thing, you know. That we we'll, that we, we we can just desire it now, and so you know, there we will be able to see the true meaning of our life, see him face to face, unveiled. Now we can kind of imagine him like we would imagine that cross or other things, other statues when they're veiled. And this past Sunday, there was also the veneration of Veronica's veil in St. Peter's, the only place that has it. It's a famous relic, an ancient relic of the Holy Face. As you recall, in the account of the Passion, there was a woman who came, tradition that Veronica, you know, who came and, and wiped the face of Jesus, right? And, and he left on that veil, the four par- on the four parts of that veil, the image of his, you know, blood and sweat uh, strewn face, so it was like it appeared on that veil, right? And of course, that veil was kept, and it became a very important uh, relic. And uh, well, during the persecutions, it was kept in the catacombs, and you know people would be able to go to see that veil, and they would see 
the dabs of blood, and but it took on this, like the eyes and nose, you could see the image of our Lord's face. And then Veronica gave this veil to Pope Clement I, who was the third successor of St. Peter. And, uh, the, well, the relic was kept there for many centuries and uh, eventually installed in, uh, in St. Peter's Basilica. There was the old St. Peter's, and then in the 15th century or something, it was, or the 16th century, it was torn down and they rebuilt what we know today as the, the new St. Peter's. And so there is, in, like, say, if you're looking at the Baldacchino on the right side, there is the, uh, I don't know if it's called a chapel or something like that, it's kind of a chapel of St. Veronica, and they only take it out once a year, and they give a blessing, and everybody looks up and cranes their neck to see it, but you can't see anything, it's too far away. You know? so, but there is the Holy Face. And already in the 17th century, there was a great devotion to the Holy Face on that veil, and uh, many people, there were many paintings of it also done, but there's only one relic of that, right? And uh, St. Therese uh, of Lisieux, uh, she even added the name Holy Face to her her own name. Right? She was Saint Therese de Lisieux, de l'Enfant Jésus, de la Sainte Face. Right? The Saint Therese of the of the of Jesus, um, of the Holy Face, basically. Well, she she had such a great devotion to that Holy Face, but largely because it was on a veil. It's a beautiful image. So so let us uh, let's try to really, as we prepare for the Holy Week really ask the Lord to to live this passion tide and and understand the meaning of these veiled statues and veiled crucifixes which will be remain veiled until uh, Holy Saturday and the mood in these days is kind of more somber more sorrowful in which we well we try to reflect all these practices in the liturgy yeah, in the readings yeah. And, and the fact that at the center of our faith is this, indeed, this instrument of torture, yeah? the most painful instrument that the that the Romans could devise, yeah? and and the Church, of course, is very conscious not just of that instrument, but what our Lord said about that. Yeah? I mean, the the drama of what he said. He says, "If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross." And follow me. And you can imagine the effect it must have had hearing him say this. You, you, must, you want us to be criminals, Lord? He said, no, just take up your cross. Take up the things that are, you know, take them on. The things that are painful, the things that are humiliating. When people dislike you for some reason or they're mean to you, take it. For, for love of me. St. Peter he recommended too. He said, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we may follow in his steps. And uh, this we have to follow. We have to follow. We cannot, we, we dilute Christianity if we leave the cross just as a decorative item on our, on our lapel or around our neck or in our house. It was just a nice decorative item. Out here in the vestibule, you'll see a black cross there, a black cross. And the idea was that the original black crosses were made from the beams of an ancient uh, chapel in Segovia that St. Josemaria used to use. And those beams, he had 
now now we use new black crosses, you know, but uh, but he wanted us every time we pass by there to make a an act of reverence, an act of piety in front of an empty black cross. And he obtained that we would get a partial indulgence every any time you just kiss the cross or made a reverence. You know, during COVID we couldn't kiss anything, you know, so 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 you could just make a inclination of the head. But now, you know, go ahead, kiss it, do it, you know. And uh, and you get a partial indulgence. Under Pius XII, it was 500 days. Now we don't count days. It's just too mathematical. So it was just partial or plenary, right? So, but, but, and he said, well, you kiss that cross and say, I want to be on that cross. And I, I want to suffer with you, Lord, out of love. And, and, you know, it's, it represents to us like the home stretch in the last call for conversion. And because we were convinced that we could not resurrect with Christ if we do not die with Him through penance, through penance for our sins, through mortification, that is, die to ourselves, die through penance, or deny ourselves, deny ourselves comforts. We always say we do something for, for Lent, we can deny ourselves some comforts, we can deny, we can fast. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be done out of love, out of out of uh, a means of repentance. And Saint, our Lord Himself says, "Unless you repent, you will all perish." In the same manner, he said, "You will perish." So we can't we can't have a light Lent. You know? Or He says, "If anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me." We, we hear this and we may be afraid and we may think that this will somehow make us unhappy. We'll, we'll be, I don't know, stressed or anxious. But you see the greatest saints who were very mortified, that's one the thing they showed. They were mortified, lived a lot of self-denial, but they were always at peace and happy. St. Josemaria lived a life of great penance. You know, he had a small little room in a nice big large house but he kept the smallest room no windows tiny little bed he had a waste paper basket that's about it you know very little and you know he would often sleep on the floor and other means of mortification but he was always serene he was not unhappy and uh, our lord says unless you repent and uh, it's as though he's saying, unless you repent, unless you deny yourself, you can have nothing to do with me. And it's very important that we don't have an excessive, uh, or we at least avoid an, a, a, an overly human rationale with regards to suffering or mortification. Um, or any rationale that is maybe too abstract. It really, all mortification, all penance, it has to do with love. Hmm? And, and sometimes it happens to us, you might suffer a setback. Like you might suffer uh, a setback at work. You could be laid off. They call it laid off, but really you were fired. And it's, and, you know, it's humiliating, you know, a humiliation, which makes us suffer. Or rejected by somebody that we wanted to get to know Mm-hmm. or physical pains as we get older we have more and more physical issues so how do we understand this 
How do we embrace this? Because it makes us suffer. Well, Pope John Paul II explains this very well in a very non-intellectual way. He doesn't give you an abstract formula about what is suffering, what is mortification. He said, why do this? He said, and he wrote this in a letter called the Salvifici Dolores, on the, on the salvific meaning of, of pain. He said, for it is above all, he said, a call. Suffering is a call. It is a vocation. Christ does not explain the abstract, in the abstract the reasons for suffering. But before all else, he says, follow me. Follow me. Come after me. Take part through your suffering in this work of saving the world, a salvation achieved through my suffering, through my cross. He says, gradually as the individual takes up his cross, spiritually uniting himself to the cross of Christ, the salvific meaning of suffering is revealed before him. He's not discovered this meaning at his own human level, but at the level of the suffering of Christ. And uh, well, when Pope John Paul II wrote this, you know, he promised that that uh, that we can let him come down to us in this way. And he, Pope John Paul II, certainly suffered a lot. He he had a, he was suffered an assassination attempt, and after that, his life was different. He had a lot of pain after that. And but he too had that interior peace. He had that interior joy. And of course, the current culture of death in Canada allows pretty much anyone to escape suffering by purposely choosing death. Even if they have a mental illness, even if they're not immediately going to die, they can decide to die. And doctors are not only asked, but they're forced to participate in this through lethal injection. And... uh, Many people just can't see that their suffering has any meaning whatsoever, any purpose, any grander scheme. That's why when we talk to any of our friends, any people we know that are suffering in any way, and, and they are, it's not that they're not suffering, they are in pain. We have, to, we have to open to them horizons and, and, and give meaning. As St. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, an astounding word, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings, for your sake. He's talking to the Colossians, for your sake, I rejoice, I'm ready to suffer. In other words, a source of joy is found in the overcoming of the sense of the uselessness of suffering. When we overcome, you know, just a rainy day and my feet get wet, or it's cold, or, you know, it's useful. This is my feet that are wet now, are very useful. My backache is super useful. Of course, it doesn't mean we shouldn't relieve our pain when we can. We have to go to the doctor. We have to take care of those things. We have to go to physio. We should do that. But it is really worthwhile worthwhile to offer our Lord little acts of self-denial. Sometimes we just have to keep quiet. We'd like to say something in a conversation, 
You know, the, not to have the last word. That's a good mortification. Not to have that extra beer. You know? Forgo that TV program. Forgo YouTube with that that magnetic clickbait. No. Click off. Right? Maybe it's overcoming my bad character. My proclivity to anger. Not to, not to just to kind of do everything so that it's the most comfortable that I can imagine from from whatever I want to do and and it, you know, like Saint John of the Cross he said if at any time my brother someone whether or not he is a prelate tries to persuade you to a doctrine of ease and lightness do not believe it or nor embrace it even though he confirm it with miracles. And never, he says, if you want to possess Christ, seek him without the cross. That's 16th century John of the Cross, spiritual director to St. Teresa of Avila. So we have to, well, internalize the cross. I remember, I told this story before, but I remember many years ago I was, uh, I got a visit from my family, from my sister and brother-in-law, and I was in another center, and uh, we were going for walks and stuff, and and we were going to go for a walk. And my nephew was there, and he was a little toddler. I mean, he was maybe four or five years old or something. And they had to change uh, his shoes because he wanted to go in his walking shoes, or whatever. So they went up into my room, the priest's room, and the fa- his father was not Catholic. The family's not Catholic. His father was putting on his his little booties there, and, uh, and then he put his boots on, and then the father was fixing up the bag and stuff, and the little kid looked up over the mantelpiece and saw this massive wooden crucifix of our Lord. And he looked up at it there, stared at the crucifix. Of course, he'd never seen anything like this. He's not Catholic. He doesn't know what this is. He said, Dad, who is that up there? Who is that? And the father said, Oh, that's Jesus Christ. And who is he? And, uh, his father said, well, you ask your uncle. He'll tell you all about it. And my little nephew goes, he looks at me like this, you know. Well, tell me, who is this guy? You know, and I said, I'm going, I have to tell a little five-year-old who Jesus Christ is on the cross, you know. So, um, but that is what we have to do, you know. We do have to tell, we have to be able to explain people what the meaning of the cross is in their lives, in our life. We have to be able to explain who Jesus Christ on the, on the cross is. And explain the deep sense, the deep meaning of suffering in our life, that it is not useless. That the very denial of myself is somehow mysteriously salvific. And that means we have to tap into the real meaning of suffering, finding really good reasons and good tender explanations, good encouragement for people who are suffering. Hang in there. There's bad weather. Okay, hang in there. Your colleague is being really difficult and making life impossible. Hang in there. Offer it to God. You're, you're having these pains. Keep at it. Mm-hmm.
now after all we have to ask our blessed mother for help in this because she stood there valiantly at the foot of the cross she's called our lady of sorrows we can ask her to intercede for us even if images of her are covered her sorrow too can be integrated also into our, our own soul we ask her to intercede for us so that we deeply understand the meaning of the crucifix, the meaning of the cross, and live a fruitful Passion Week, and even more fruitful Holy Week. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.